0: Good morning, High Point Church. The scripture passage for this morning is going to be Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. I'd invite you to turn there with me, either on your phones or your own Bible, or there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you look in that Bible, it's going to be on page 1590. Luke fourteen one through 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus was went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out?" And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat." Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, or brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come." The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who invited, who was invited will get a taste of my banquet.
1: Thanks, Becca. How's everyone? Good. Good to see you all. I, I like that, that greeting there with the hands up. Oh, yeah, well, that's cool. Wonderful. My name is uh, Lloyd. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, High Point Church. And I'm going to be continuing today in our, our series, Entrusted. Before I jump into uh, Luke chapter 14, I, I want to give you some news. Some of you know our dear sister, Phil Porter, had been uh, in an assisted living facility for about a year, yep, a year and a half. Uh, she passed. She was at peace, but she did pass on Monday. And so on November the 17th here at High Point Church at 3 o'clock, we will have her memorial service. So just kind of mark that on your calendars, and it will be a great uh, a time. Um, Phil was the kind of sister that never had a bad day in her life. Even when you visited her at the assisted living facility, she wanted to pray for you. And evangelism was so built into her spirit. So this will be a time to celebrate her life and and, and really not so much mourn, mourn that we'll miss her, but to remember how steadfast she was in the Lord. All right. Um, This morning, we're going to look at uh uh self-centeredness and we're going to talk about this as a destroyer of stewardship um now a steward is someone that owns nothing but manages everything i think of a steward one of the best examples of stewardship i think is a school teacher um uh, i go over to a high point christian school and teachers are in half an hour early and they've prepared their lesson plans and the little students come in, and they're, they know what they're going to be doing every minute of the, of the time. And at the end of the day, t- parents are going to expecting back a well-behaved, uh, brilliant young person, right? But the teacher, she doesn't. The, the children aren't hers, right? The, the institution is not hers, right? But everything that happens, you better believe that uh, uh, the principal and, and then the parents are wanting to hold that person, her, accountable, or him accountable, right? That, a, a steward, right? A pastor, right? I come to High Point Church. Uh, I don't own the building, right? I don't, uh, the, the, the people here have their own lives, right? But I am a, a shepherd. Jesus says he's going to hold me and the elders, senior pastor Nick, accountable for how the souls of the church are nourishing, uh, are, being, are flourishing under our care, right? I'm a steward. Uh, and one of the things about being a Christian that is distinct is that our very lives are not our own. See, Christians believe that Christ came to earth born of a woman, um, but truly divine, having preached to us what what the truth is, given us good news that we could have, uh, we could be restored to fellowship with God through his death and resurrection. The good news that we could live in righteousness through his spirit, uh, the good news that we wouldn't be responsible even for our own lives, but we would be re- responsible for um, making disciples and helping other people come into the family of God. See, Christians, we believe that we are our stewards. And Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 6 19 20. He says, Don't you know that your very bodies as a Christian are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, our goal is to honor God with our bodies. And I think the really difficult thing about being a Christian is to walk into this every day. To, to recognize that how I work and how I, I parent and how I'm a husband and all that I put my hands to, the, the way I, I do friendship, is uh, I'm serving God. I'm living for the other person. I'm not living to myself. And even after trying to do this for 54 years, I want to tell you that I'm still learning this more and more as the days come out. And so, and the biggest enemy to me living like that is myself, is my self-centeredness. Self-centeredness destroys stewardship. It makes me worship me and not God. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is dealing with self-centeredness. And we see it manifested in four different ways. We see it manifested in self-righteousness. We see it manifested in self-importance or pride. We see it manifested in self-promotion, how I want to make myself large and you not so large. We see it in self-promotion. And we see it in self-indulgence, how I want to primarily suit my own needs first, and then if there's something left, deal with you, right? So we see it in these areas, and Jesus confronts this in this passage. So today we want to look at all four of these. We want to start with self-righteousness. Luke 14, 1 through 6. On the Sabbath, the the Jewish people were given one day of rest. God said, I will take care of all of your needs if you just work six days. One day you are to rest and restore yourself, and you are to mimic creation. On creation, I spent six six days working. And on the seventh day, you rested. it. You fall in line with this. And you can meet all of your needs and all of your family's needs. And you can even have enough to share with other people with six days. And on the seventh day, restore yourself. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, check this out the Lord of Lords is coming to see his people, and he's going to save and to, and to heal. And he's coming to shepherd, and those who are his under-shepherds, the Pharisees, the leaders of the people, are there to check him out. See this dichotomy. So it looks like what they've done is they planted a person who's sick in front of him to see whether Jesus will meet their standards of righteousness or his own standards of righteousness. It says there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day, the day of rest, or not? And they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Now this argument back and forth with the, the, the synagogue rulers and with the Pharisees was something that continued on. This wasn't the first engagement he had had with them on this subject. In Luke 6-9 he had this and he questioned them he said I ask you is it lawful on the day of rest to do good or to do evil to save life or destroy it and then in Luke chapter 13 um, they are indignant about him healing and restoring people every day of the week, even Sunday, is a good day for you to bless someone who needs to be blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying even when you're resting, if you have a brother or sister that's in need and you can move out in love and actions of love, then it's okay. Go go on ahead and, and bless that person. That's more important. Healing and restoring is what the rest day is about. And if you can participate in that, then, then God says, That is righteousness. That's, that's applying what I want to teach you about rest. But they were indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the day of rest. The Lord answered them, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath day untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it some water? Aren't us on our Sabbath day, if there's no chips at home, going to run out to the store to get some chips, right? Or there's, certain, there's certain critical things, amen? There's certain critical things that you have to do, right? Even on the day of rest. And so Jesus is saying, come on now, let's be serious here. If your child is in desperate straits, you're going to take care of him. You're going to extend because it just makes good sense that you're going to save life and, and heal on, on the rest day. And so they argued with him on this issue. Uh, and this is the thing about self righteousness Jesus had already taught the religious leaders that it's appropriate to heal on, on the Sabbath, but the leaders had learned nothing. They're not willing to admit that Jesus' righteousness exceeds their own righteousness. Self righteousness. I was hit by this when filling out a survey. I get to questions 16, 17, and 18 on the survey, and I start feeling really good about myself. Here's the questions. Here's the questions. In the five years preceding your attendance at High Point, the following statements are are true, and there's a bunch of questions. It says, I consistently attended church. I said, yeah, of course I did. I've been a Christian since I was in my early 20s. I'm in my early 50s. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Next question. I currently meet regularly with a small group. I say, yeah, I used to be the small group leader. Come on. So, you know, I, I hung out with some of my friends in the small group yesterday. Amen. Right? i got to be righteous, Mike. i am in a small group at High Point. Great, two, two. Righteous, right. Third one, 18. I'm currently volunteering. Yeah. Not only do I volunteer at High Point, I even go out into the public schools. And you can see I'm starting to get more and more I'm starting to feel good. I said, Lord, why, why isn't my life carefree? Lord, Lord, why, why, aren't, uh, I, why aren't you giving me everything I ever wanted in my heart? I literally, I'm telling you, just a few minutes ago when I was doing the survey. And then I get down before to this question. And it's a question I think every Christian and then non-Christians have to ask themselves. It's under question 19. It says this. It says, check one statement that describes where you are when you first attended High Point and where you are now. And my eyes drift down. And I, I, get, I get to uh, trembling over this question. I say, I've been a Christian for some time now, but hadn't, uh, but hadn't made Jesus the center of my life. That's one. Next one says this. I've been a Christian for some time, and Jesus was the center of my life. And I ask myself this question. What do I need to give away now? to make sure that Jesus really is the center of my life. Now for me, it falls in things like, like rest, right? I feel like I should, I should be able to get, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep, but I find myself sometime, God saying, you can do on six hours, I've um, I've always kind of been struggling with being overweight, and I feel God telling me, you know, you can give away a good portion of this food to put me first. You can do that, right? And I think what God is saying to us in relation to self-righteousness is this, that all of us have some things that we need to check ourselves on, that we need to put, our, uh, put away so that He is Lord and we are not. Because um, we need to cultivate a mind and a heart that is willing to yield when confronted with the truth. We need to recognize that we're still learning. We need to recognize that it's okay to be wrong if you're willing to change. People in authority have a hard time accepting the fact that they don't have it all right. There's been some interesting work done in Harvard Business School. And they've been studying the organizations that thrive that are most profitable over a long period of time. And what they're starting to find out in the metrics are that the leaders that come to work, not to use their employees as cogs to get productivity, but that they come to work to ask the, to ask the people the question, how can I help you succeed in what you're doing, that those kinds of organizations where the employees feel that they're listened to, that they're served, that these organizations are, are, are performing at highest levels, and people that work for those kind of organizations stay longer. Somebody was joking with me uh, uh, here recently, and they were like, yeah, it's good when the pastors of the church come and shovel rocks with us. <laughs> Literally, this was a project we were doing. It's good when, when, when the leaders can are not so great that they can get involved in what may seem to be menial chores. So this is a challenge for me. It may be a challenge for some of you as well in terms of cultivating a, a heart that is willing to change. Self-righteousness it destroys our stewardship because it pits the steward against the owner. It, it stands me against God. When I, when I am confronted with the truth and will not change, then I'm struggling with God over lordship. The second one is self-importance or pride, Luke 14:7 through 11. When he noticed the guests, that's Jesus, picked the places of honor at the table, He told them the story. And so what we need to see in this text is Jesus is really going hard in scene after scene about the self-centeredness that he sees. So here's the second episode where he sees self-centeredness. He tells a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I was a kid, I used to be an usher at the the Bears football games and the Cubs baseball games. And I would be, sometimes I'd work in the best seat section, you know, the, the box seats, right? And occasionally I'd get to work and somebody was already seat, sitting in these, the best seats in the, in the house. And then later on somebody would come with their ticket and then I'd go down to that section and as I'd find out there was this person here that obviously didn't belong, right? And so I'd be like, sir, can you show me your seats? And they'd be like, uh, 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 and they kind of just scuttled away and run and kind of hide, Amen? So the, 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 the issue here is that as Christians in the body of Christ, we're not presumptuous. We recognize before God and before each other that we are humble. And so we don't put ourselves in the most prominent places. We know the most prominent place belongs to the Lord. And we know that each, we and each other are on the same basis. So that's the posture that we want to have as as saints. Jesus doesn't see this when he goes to this party. He sees people coming in and wanting to sit in the most favored places at the banquet. I like the way Pastor Rick Warren talks about this. He says this, he says, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Here's how this affects me, personally, to give you a real story. On the weekends, like when I have to preach, when I'm going to preach, I hate when people ask me to do stuff on Saturday. I really do. Because I know I'm going to be, like, trying to make everything right, and do I have this illustration, do I have this story, right? And, and so I'm, I'm so self-absorbed that when somebody asks me just for a few hours of time to do something that they need, I'm tempted to say no. Here's where God is working in my life now. He's giving me to say, Lord I, Lord, I will take care of that if you help your brother. <laughs> you help your brother and I will give you time. And for me, that's a big leap of faith. What are the areas in your life where God is asking you to make some sacrifices? Even if it's like, I'm trying to serve over here, Lord, you're asking me to do even more. Uh, really? Is there more margin in your life? It, it, is it true that when you're weak that he's strong? Can that be made manifest in your life too? True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I like this, uh, this quote here about talking to people. You ever have noticed that there's certain people, when you talk with them, you have a conversation with them, you just meet them, you get finished and you say, that person really thinks they're really important. And then there are certain people... That you just meet and you leave thinking, man, that person really enjoyed getting to know me. That second person is the kind that we endeavor to be. We want to get to know people. We want to ask questions. We want to hear their story. We want to look for ways to serve. We don't want to be self-promoting, even in in, in our engagements with folk. God is not against power and prestige. It's okay when we are CEOs and we are, have prominent positions in whatever field that we, we're in. That's okay with him. What's not okay is when we use that power for our own promotion and our own advantage. So God has put us in a place to be able to serve, to serve his purposes in the gospel and to serve the needs of others. That's why, that's why he elevates leaders in the church. That's why he elevates you in your sphere of influence is for you to serve. Not for you to gain individually as a priority. But self importance or pride, it destroys stewardship because it leads us to pursue our own agenda at the expense of God's. So we've looked at self centeredness and we've looked at self-righteousness and then we've looked at pride or self-importance. And the next one Jesus walks them through is self-importance, self-promotion, self-promotion. Luke, Luke 14, 12 through 14. Jesus said to his host, now, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your wrenched neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. And here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. We shouldn't think that when we have our Bears parties, not, not Parker's party, I know money throws a Packers party or Badger's party or when you when you throw a Northwestern football party, you I'm know, sorry, sorry, I had to hit low, I had to hit low now. God is saying that when you throw a party and it's just for your family and friends, you shouldn't be thinking self-righteously about that. I don't think he's saying to us that when we have our, our personal fellowships that this is bad. But what he is saying, I think, to us is that one of the responsibilities of Christians when we have fellowship is that it's for us to break down social and cultural barriers. Let's, let's look at why I think that's the case. He says this. He says, uh, if you invite your neighbors, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. I.e., I, there's, no, there's no special benefit when you love your brother. When I love my child, you know, even, the, even non-Christians love their friends and their children, Right? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, i.e. you, can't, you don't get anything out of it, there's no, they, they don't have the means to invite you over to their house to fellowship with you, right? And there's no social promotability that comes when you invite poor, disenfranchised people over to, to, to fellowship with them. Although they can't repay you, You will be rewarded. God will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. And I I think that Jesus expects his stewards, he expects his disciples to break down economic and social barriers, even in the way that we fellowship. And I'll bet you all of us could grow in this area. That when we think about who we are uh, having lunches with and who we're inviting over with, are we thinking about folks that maybe it might even be difficult to have fellowship with? Are we inviting those people into our fellowship? Because when we do, when we care about those folks who are on of Jesus' heart, God is saying that's when, we are, uh, uh, that's when there can be blessing. I think it's cool at High Point that there are so many folk who are willing to be uncomfortable and reach out like to international students. Because it's harder. You don't have the same basis of understanding. Sometimes there's language barriers, right? But as Christians, we're called to to make to to have fellowship and to share Jesus with people that are not like us, that are difficult to share Jesus with. So I pray that you accept that challenge. So God says, don't promote yourself, serve others. Because when we promote ourselves, it destroys stewardship because it honors ourself and it doesn't honor God. So self-centeredness destroys good uh, stewardship. We've looked at self-righteousness. And we've looked at self-importance or pride. And then we've looked at self-promotion. And the last one I want to look at is self-indulgence. How you will care for your own needs and interests first and, and not really trust that there's a God who's interested in taking care of your needs. Self-indulgence. Luke 14. Now, it's getting pretty heated at this banquet. And what one of the persons who's there wants to do is he wants to kind of cool it down. The Pharisees are kind of getting insulted. The other guests are being insulted. So this one person does this, does a little bit of a distraction. So when one of those at the table with him heard Jesus he said to them, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast is the kingdom of God. And surely everybody can agree with this, right? We don't have to have these, you know, this, this angst. Blessed is everyone who will eat at the kingdom of God. And, and now Jesus has got even one more lesson that he wants to teach. So here's what he does. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet... He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. In the ancient world, they would, uh, when they were having banquets, they'd make the invitation, and people would accept, and once they accepted, they would know how much food to buy and how many servants they would use. And so, uh, so you, would, you would be invited, you would accept, and then they'd go about the preparations. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But then, after they had already RSVP'd, after they had already accepted, they began to make excuses. What kind of excuses? The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I've just bought, I went out to a friend of mine, and I'm having this lavish dinner. I'm gonna make steak. And I'm gonna have potatoes. And I'm gonna have the best sides. And I've been preparing all day to do it. And you said you were coming. You said you were coming. And then at the last minute, you, co- you ah, you know what? I I I gotta go check on the field. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of lame. They all began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Really? (laughs) I mean, you probably, if if you're going to make an investment in an oxen, you probably checked them out already and you know before you put the money down. It's kind of a lame excuse, right? Please excuse me. This other one is a little better. I just got married, so I can't go. That's probably the one I would use. It. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'd use that. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry, and ordered his servant. He says, "Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in people who need what I have to give. Bring in those who are poor. Bring in the crippled. Bring in the blind. And bring in the lame." Sir, the servant said. What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. So Jesus is saying, he's talking to the, the people of Israel. In the, the Old Testament, they've already become his people. You're my people, here's your law. Now Jesus is here, here's your Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's here to receive you into his kingdom, and you're busy doing your thing. And so for, the, for, the, for the, most of the Jewish people of this era, um, they, they missed that the Messiah was there to enter them into eternal life. They missed it. And they missed it because they were self-satisfied with other things. What you've ordered has been done, the servant says. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I'll tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So we get this picture that God is expanding salvation beyond the Jewish people to uh, other folks, to Gentiles, to the entire world. So his grace is sufficient for all of us. But those of us who will miss it will be those who who have prioritized what they have acquired from themselves over God's blessing. What are the things in your life that are more important to you than God's righteousness, his peace, his love? What are the things that you are giving your hearts to that are more important than God? That's the question he's asking us today. Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, came up with this idea that there's a city of man, that this is our own self-directed world, or there's the kingdom of God. In the city of man, this is the thinking. There's a worriness about the current day, what you'll eat, uh, your retirement program, your children, your possessions. And Jesus says this in Luke 12. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body, what you will wear. For non-Christians and those who worship other gods run after such things. And your father knows that you need them. Or will you have a kingdom of God mindset? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you'll eat or what you drink. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, One of the things that I have a lot more of than my mom. Who is uh, about 88. And uh, lives in the a small house in Chicago, one of the things I have more of than she has is stuff. But in all of the stuff that I've accumulated for myself, I've never quite been able to attain that the peace that she has. Uh, the, her confidence that God will take care of her, her confidence that God will provide for her. I have found that my stuff and my anxiety tend to go in the same direction. But that peace and righteousness come with recognizing that stuff will take care of itself if I concern myself with what's important to God, which are investing in people, investing in the gospel, investing in the things that will bring uh, flourishing to our society. I found that I find more peace when I do that and I find more stress when I go after stuff. Are you gonna live in the city of man or are you gonna live in the city of God? The city of man, Jesus is going after the Pharisees here in Matthew. He says, everything that the Pharisees do is for people to see. They love the places of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others or the kingdom of God. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians. He says this, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results, i.e., it helped produce more Christians. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi as you know, i.e., they were imprisoned and beat in Philippi, illegally beaten. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. And we speak as those approved by God and entrusted, that's that stewardship again, with the gospel. And we are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. And so God is asking us to be the kind of people that does not look for the affirmation of others, but is looking first and foremost to his affirmation. Are we those kind of people? Uh, self-indulgence destroys stewardship because it, because it communicates that what I want to keep up for myself, is more important than what God wants to give me. Self-indulgence uh, destroys stewardship because it, it, it lacks trust that if I live according to the gospel, that God will actually meet the needs as he says he will. Self-centeredness destroys stewardship. Um, we have talked about self-righteousness. We've talked about self-importance, which is pride. We've talked about self-promotion, our desire to be, for me to be higher than you are, right? And self-indulgence. I just want to spend my life filling all of my needs and, and all of my greed, self-indulgence. But there's a better way to live. And what we see in Jesus Christ is that the self-sacrificial life is the heart of stewardship. And we see the self-sacrificial life in the life of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 and 9 says this. In your relationships with one another, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Sometimes, um, I'll have to check myself on this. I have to check my motives. When God gives me something, position, money, do I want to just use it for my own advantage? Or is it something I can use to bless you? Is it something I can use to bless people who are in need? Jesus used his authority, not for his own advantage, but for us. God's something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. uh, Do you recognize that our human flesh and and blood, even the guys that are really cut and the the women who are really attractive, all of this is the nature of a servant. That our very nature is that I'm to serve you, and you are to serve me. In fact, that that's how the world functions properly. When everyone in the world recognizes that there's not lords and servitude people, servants, that, they, that we, we, we live to bless each other. He says we are in the, in the very nature, servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Just a couple of thoughts. God's plan is for us to serve him by serving each other. Um, One of the things that I recognize more as a pastor than I did when I worked for American Family, is I recognize that everything in the church functions well only when all of the members, all of the people in the family of God that identify themselves in the local church buy into the fact that they are here to serve. If I don't buy into the fact that I'm here to serve, you won't follow. You'll feel like you've been treated poorly. And if you don't buy into the fact that you're here to serve, there's some brothers and sisters that are in our midst that are not going to get what they need from us. They're not going to get the fellowship. They're not going to get the attention. They're not going to get the friendship that they need because we don't see ourselves as servants. That the, the church functions well when we see ourselves as self-sacrificial. And it does not function when we see ourselves as too important or too busy in order to participate. That's the one thing. Our whole fellowship and whether we'll succeed in drawing people into the kingdom of God and whether we'll succeed with our hopes for uh, reaching, um, uh, continuing to reach uh, young generations, teenagers, and seeing them come into church, being more more cross-cultural in what we do, All of it depends on us really buying into the fact that this is not all about my personal needs. It's about, I'm I'm about your needs, and it's all about what God wants to do. This will succeed when we live self-sacrificial lives and not self-directed, self-centered lives. Let us pray. Lord, uh, you really take us on our, our tendency to look after ourselves first and foremost, and you really challenge us with our self-righteousness and with our pride and with our desire to, to, to be large in society, to promote ourselves, and our desire to, to take care of our needs and the things that we want and make these things primary. You take us on and you, you say to us, Father, that we've got to trust you. We've got to trust you that there's a better way to live, that life doesn't consist in the, the, the grasping of material things, that there is a joy that comes in dying to that and living for others and living for you. Lord, we want that in our lives. We want that in our church. We want that to be our, our, our calling card. We want, we, we recognize that that's what real love is within the kingdom of God. And we recognize that that's what you showed us. That's what, that's what we see in, in you coming to earth and living and, uh, and not aspiring to be on earth the king of kings and. Uh, and and to be exalted as such but uh, but aspiring in your life to to show us the truth and to die for our sins and to reconcile us to the father you show us self-sacrificial love you show us what good stewardship is lord may we follow you may we trust you trust you with all of our hearts and may we experience the peace and joy and life that you intended for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.